How was your Valentine's Day, Julie? good um i'm actually we're we're actually uh we're a day late well we were traveling over the weekend just to see brandon's parents uh and so yeah didn't really do valentine's day on actual valentine's day but it was nice i got red wine all over a shirt oh congrats that sounds like that sounds like a tuesday for me i spent all day trying to get that stain out and I used about... Why didn't 50... you call me? What remedy do you know? I used all of them. Hot water, Dawn soap, and rubbing alcohol. Okay, I haven't tried rubbing alcohol yet. All well, right. It's probably too late. Well, it's just still... It's... <laughs> Look, it's almost out. Hydrogen peroxide and Dawn kind of worked. Um, the... Um, what was the other thing? I tried like baking soda with OxyClean and um, lemon was helpful. All kinds of weird, weird remedies. So I, I'm, I'm working it. Every, every layer that I do, it, get, it comes out a little more. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, let me know if you need help. Yeah, I'll, I will let you know. So are you saying that there wasn't any spousal homicide on your side? No, but... Things? um there was not and but it looked somewhat like a blood stain I, as i was cleaning it today i was like i feel like an angsty wife that stabbed her husband and i'm trying to get rid of the evidence napped <laughs> exactly <laughs> one of the first times i met i met matt's mom a couple different times and and by meet her i mean like obviously i met her one time technically but like when you, you don't really know someone sort of, yeah, yeah. And Matt and I were at her house and she was coming home from work and I was sitting on the couch. Matt was like making dinner or something. And I was sitting on her couch and I was watching Snapped on ID. And she was like, love this for you. She walks in and she like looks at Matt, looks at me, looks at Matt, looks at me, like totally concerned, but it's fine. So can you guess what we're going to talk about today on our true crime episode? It sounds like a wife that got angry and killed her husband from what it sounds like, which close really. So it was kind of funny because I don't know if I've told this story before as possible, but um, this was like a long while ago, but we were, we were with some friends um, back when we could get together with friends, you know what that was like? I don't know. Um, I can't remember places. Can't remember so places. <laughs> and we were all talking about some case and all of us were like, yeah, if only she had like done this and like this. And we were talking about all the ways that she would have like not gotten caught. And all of our husbands were like, all right, you guys are freaking us out now. (laughs) But when you listen to enough true crime, you know, the mistakes that you don't want to make. So we are going to talk about how love was not in the air. Um, it is Valentine's Day themed. Oh, love it. Love that. So I know, I know you like a good theme. Yeah. Um, so the location of this situation, we're in Northeast Detroit in Macomb County. So we're going to talk a little bit about our main character, Tara Lynn. 
Wait, she, pause. Her, I really like that you call her a main character. I'm like she's not a real person. I know. I I don't tale. really know of this tale. What I mean, what is she? Heroess. I don't know what she do. Okay, how about we get through it and then you tell me what she is? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Name's Tara Lynn. Uh, she grew up on a family farm with horses and pigs, cows, goats, sheep, hens, rabbits, turkeys. They had all the things. Uh, Tara and her older sister, Alicia, grew up close together. Uh, they each had daily chores around the farm. Their father was strict and let them know if he wasn't happy if they, for example, didn't get all their chores done. Um, but one of Tara's favorite chores on the farm was actually to make maple syrup, which I thought was just really fucking wholesome. So. That is, that really is. Uh, she ended up um, going to Michigan State University, which is where she met Stephen Grant. Stephen Grant, uh, also in the same Detroit area, worked at his father's small-time two-man machine shop. Uh, he managed, or I'm sorry, well, I guess he, he probably kind of managed it if it's just him as his, him and his dad, right? I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would uh, so. <laughs> so um, very short, by a brief background on them. Um, they met at Michigan State University, and when they graduated, Tara went on with her business degree, and she started working for a engineering company that um, had a that was international so it had a lot of different projects going on at the same time and she would be managing projects uh on u.s soil but then also off of u.s soil she was the breadwinner of the family between her and steven uh she had a six fig- i know she had a six-figure management position look at her go love i'm that. like yes i love a lady um, in charge so then that left steven obviously he's working with his dad at the at the machine job but he like managed all of the doctor's visits and soccer games for their two kids. They had two children. Lindsay was older and then Ian was a little bit younger. Um, He was kind of like priding himself on being quote unquote, Mr. Mom, right? Like Mm. he's staying home. She's, she's constantly traveling. Um, I mean, I, I, I like that dynamic. I like, I like to hear it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and she was working on this really big project that was taking place in Puerto Rico. So she was constantly commuting back and forth between Detroit and San Juan. Um, when Tara and Steven met each other, Tara was like this 4-H farm girl that was going for a degree in business. Like it kind of seemed like Steven was more of like a suburban Detroit dude. Like he went to school for politics and then ended up just like probably being lazy and working for his dad's company you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. he he went after this girl thinking like oh like we'll settle down and we'll have a few kids like whatever and then she ended up just like getting this bomb ass career and probably in some ways kind of taking over the pants yeah the family and, and taking a little bit of that masculinity away but um so the two got married they had two children Lindsay and Ian they also because you know bitch had a six-figure salary they could afford an au pair which I'm like that's the fucking dream <laughs> yeah that really is that's the dream so they had an au pair her name was Verena and she Jerecki. goes on I mean she I'm assuming she travels with them and like all of that that's that's the... so she stays at home her, the reason that they actually hired her was because Tara was traveling so much 
like Verena would was a live-in at their house in Detroit. So then she oh. would take care of like Lindsay and Ian. And then I'm kind of like, fuck you, Steven. You can't call yourself Mr. Mom. You got a no pair. Yeah. It's like that first episode of cleaning up with Marie Kondo when I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You are, you're making the face. You know who I'm talking about. I know. The woman that didn't want to do the fucking laundry. And yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. You are a, what do they call it? Um, back on like, um, a supermarket sweep whenever they were stay-at-home wives they called them something <laughs> engineers but they, they used a really creative term domestic House, engineer. Domestic, domestic engineer, engineer. Yeah. Um, yeah which is fine that's fine I, I have no problem with that you're saving essentially a lot of money and like daycare maid service yard service whatever the hell you're doing laundry laundry don't send it's a big one out. that's anyway, a big one I, that lady made me so upset we can move on so that's like, that's like a sore <laughs> subject for me <laughs> she pissed me off so bad your job is laundry do it we all have things about our jobs we don't like oh Kathy I don't even know if that was her name it's fine it's, it's Kathy we'll we'll move forward knowing she that. does laundry now Marie Kondo taught her how to do laundry thank god oh good yeah. um so they had an au pair her name was Verena Derricky and I'm sorry if I'm saying that her last name wrong I could be saying her first name wrong I don't know she is she's from Germany so she was a live-in au pair slash nanny she was 19 years old she was contracted over from um a contracting service for au pairs from Germany um and again just originally hired because of Tara's hectic work schedule so I'm gonna bring you back to Valentine's Day February 14th 2007 Stephen walks into the Macomb County Sheriff's Office and reports his wife, Tara, missing. As he's doing this, he's talking to the, the guy at the front desk, the police officer that's on desk duty that day, whatever. Um, he doesn't know that a plainclothes detective is walking by him and overhears some of the conversation that he's having with this police officer that maybe the police officer didn't necessarily write down or take note of or hear. But essentially, he hears the details of him saying, she's actually been gone for five days now. Oh, casual. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So actually, this is- I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> this is Detective Brian Kozlowski. Uh, he almost immediately is assigned the case. He gets back to his desk and essentially his boss is like, yo, you're on the case. And he's you know like, who got plays, it. You know who plays Brian in, in this movie? Mark Wahlberg, who? who plays a cop in every movie he's in. 100%. 100%. Yeah, this is Mark Wahlberg's yeah. name is all over this shit. Mark, yes. if you're out there. Yeah. Brian, you don't, you, don't, you don't get a bear to help you. Right. Um, <laughs> so he's almost imme- immediately assigned the case of Terrilyn Grant, 34-year-old wife and mother who walked out on her family. That's what this was posed as. Stephen's story was, like, after a week-long business trip, Tara comes home on February 9th, she unpacks her bags and announces that she's going to be going back to Puerto Rico early on Sunday morning rather than the originally planned Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Stephen tells her she needs to be at home more. She's traveling way too much. She needs to travel less. And then they get into an argument about the subject when Tara then gets on the phone with someone and says, I'll be out in a minute. And then she just leaves the house, just storms out. Bye. Stephen- yeah, Stephen looks out the window and says that he watched her pull away in a black sedan. So once 
Detective Kozlowski was assigned the case, he scheduled a meeting with Stephen at the Grant home on the evening of February 14th, which was, the, of course, the night that he reported her missing. Um, when Detective Kozlowski and his partner, who's, uh, her name is Detective Pam McLean, when they arrived to the Grant home, it was clear that Stephen was like angry. He's like on the defense. He's like nervous to talk. Like his demeanor just isn't, I mean, and I can say this a million times because I mainly am the one that covers the true crime stuff on this, but like people grieve in a million different ways. Yes, that's true. However, you should be inviting these detectives into your home if your right. wife is missing. You should be, we're not saying that your reaction and like your demeanor is the problem. It's your actions. Your actions yeah. and your demeanor are two different things. Yeah. And uh, so he was like nervous to talk and his body language and his verbal responses were just showing that he was completely on the defense. He was scared of the detectives. So one of the detectives' first questions was obviously like, dude, why the fuck did you wait five days to report her missing? Yeah, that's you not know? normal. And Stephen says, well, they had historically had arguments in the past and it usually ended up with Tara walking out for a day or so, but she would always come back. And this time she just didn't. So then Detective Kozlowski mainly focuses on questioning Stephen while Detective McLean then spent her time with like Verena and the two children. So they kind of played like not necessarily the good cop, bad cop, but they just focused in different areas. Yeah. So... Well, uh, and a female detective is going to get farther with a female nanny and some children than a male detective yeah, is. Yeah, that's a definitely. Smart, that's a smart way to do it. Definitely true. And so Detective McLean asks Verena about the argument in question. Um, she asks about the day that Tara left or I guess went missing. She basically just is kind of getting a whereabouts of like where she was, what she was doing. Verena said that she was not at home at the time of the argument, that she was that she heard about and she also wasn't there to see Tara leave so she didn't really have a lot of details she didn't have a lot of information for her um and quite honestly the kids are just so little like they didn't really put too much emphasis on like hard questioning them at this time yeah I mean no one I also feel like kids in these cases end up just giving up information without being questioned yeah like kids end up like because they don't really understand the implications of everything and they're going to be honest like children are right. honest so they're just going to like say it you know yeah so as detectives Kozlowski and McLean were like preparing to leave the grant home they're packing up their little notepads they asked Stephen if he'd be willing to come down to the office the next day to take a polygraph test and he agrees which like we both know our opinions on polygraph tests but regardless he agrees to it Detective Kozlowski called Stephen saying, or no, I'm sorry. Detective Kozlowski recalled Stephen saying, do you think that I'm going to be in trouble for any of this? And uh. quote, quote, you know, I didn't have anything to do with this, right? So oh, yeah. At this point. That doesn't sound guilty. Yeah. At this point, this is the only time that Stephen like shows any emotion. He puts his hands over his mouth and he starts to cry and of course, at this point, you know, like, Kozlowski and McLean are just doing the side eye. They're just like, this bitch. They're like, hey, tell, just tell us what happened, man. Just to, come on. Come tell on. Us where, tell us where she is. Yeah. So the detectives were trying this to. This reminds me him. a lot of Chris Watts. Yes. Like, thank you. The way he's acting. And yeah. like, um, yeah, like the way he's acting and like what he's saying and then like where he's starting to get emotional. Like it reminds yep. me of Chris Watts. Yes. Yes. So the, this, I was getting 
Chris Watts feels the whole time I was researching yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the detective, the detectives were trying to track Tara. Oh, her, tra- her trail ben. was relatively. Oh, was that? Could you hear that, Murph? Oh, I was telling him to go lay down. Oh, Murph. Oh, can is you he, hear me? Is he laying down? He is now. He had his little tippy taps. Yeah. Oh, I'm his sorry. Tippy-taps. I thought I muted myself. No, you're fine. <laughs> I, I walked in. It. I walked into the kitchen, and he started doing the Beggy McBeggersons. Oh. You know, well, he's just a seal. He can't help it. I know. He says, "Excuse me, that's off for me." <laughs> uh, so the detectives were trying to track Tara. Um, her trail was going cold because she's not logging onto her laptop. She's not using her cell phone, so there's no like information pinging from different towers. Her personal credit cards aren't being touched. She hasn't reached out to any family or any friends. And the detectives knew that Tara was like a savvy international traveler, right? Cause she's like this bad bitch. Yeah. And she's used to being on her own and like traveling for extended periods of time. So they were kind of like, okay, well, you know, if we were to be playing devil's advocate here, like say she did want to cool off for a few extra days, like technically she could be fine, you know, but of course they're not going to, they're not going to like pause on the investigation. So they also discover that uh, during this research that Stephen had actually been trying to reach her. So they recovered her voicemails from her cell phone starting the night that she went missing. So starting on February 9th, all the way through. So they're gathering all of this information and they're listening to these voicemails. And Stephen had left her voicemail like in a super angry voice. He's like, Tara, next time I call you, you better pick up the phone. This is absolute bullshit that you can't call me or your kids. I know you're mad. I'm mad. You're traveling. This is too much. This is just, isn't right. Like all this stuff. So then of course, then like, cause last game to clean, they're just doing the side eye again. Well, but and like, I will right. say, I will say fair. I mean, if she, oh, I would be pissed. Yeah. I would be pissed too. And like, he has a point, like you can't like just not call your kids and whatever. So yeah, that's, that wouldn't be like a red flag or weird to me personally. No, but I think they're just tacking it on at this point. Well, yeah. So on February 15th, Stephen Grant didn't show for his polygraph. Uh, in that time, between like the night of the 14th and the morning of the 15th, he had a, a hired a lawyer that advised him not to take it. Yeah, so, they do. Yeah, usually. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> he took under advisement to stop talking to law enforcement, but he didn't stop talking to the media. Hmm, love that. Yeah. So then I was like, hmm, Scott Peterson? Is that you? Yeah. Yeah. What? That's exactly what that makes me think. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they all the same? Don't know. They're so, all the same. So Amber Hunt, she's a crime and courts reporter in Detroit. Uh, she mentioned to, and I got a lot of my information from Dateline, which like fucking I'll take Dateline all day. Uh, she told Dateline that she recalled that he was constantly calling newsroom reporters and herself directly, like on their cell phones. Like he was constantly calling in and it's like, dude, how do you have time for this? Don't you have two kids to take care of? Or don't you have a wife to look for? Like, I'm really confused. So obviously the detectives were taking careful notes of everything that Steven was saying in the media because he's going to be just singing like a fucking canary. So this is when we, we meet Alicia Standerfer and uh, if you recall, I mentioned Alicia, Alicia earlier. Uh, she is Tara's older sister. So she also had two kids, but she lived over in Columbus, Ohio. 
In an interview with Dateline, Alicia mentioned that Tara was, quote, her leaning post, and whenever she had something important to talk about, Tara was always her first phone call. So that is relevant because Alicia's last phone call with Tara was on February 9th. It was a 45-minute phone call of mainly just, like, catching up, girl talk, probably what, like, you and me do, Julie. Uh, Tara was in the Newark airport waiting for her connecting flight to go back to Detroit to go home that night. And, like, nothing was really awry. No, yeah. I mean, she, during this phone call, actually, since you mentioned it, she um, received, like, a really important piece of evidence. Tara basically laid out her entire schedule for the rest of the week to Alicia. She's, yeah, she's like, okay, like, my plans for the week, like, I'm going to be, I'm going home tonight, and then I don't fly out to go back to San Juan until Monday. So she didn't even mention Sunday. Yeah. So it wasn't until a few days after that, that she spoke with Steven and her, by she, I mean, Alicia, that Alicia spoke with Steven and heard that she hadn't been home in a few days. So she actually talked to Steven on February 13th. And my gut tells me that this conversation is what forced Steven to like go to the cops. Yeah. Because she, he was like, yeah, I haven't like, we got into a fight. Like I haven't heard, I haven't talked to Tara. I haven't seen her. She hasn't come home. And she's like, that's not, that's not like Tara. Like she, one, wouldn't just walk away in her family, but also she's worked for this company for 10 years. She's literally never missed her day. Like she wouldn't just like not get on the flight to go to Puerto Rico. Like she missed her flight at this point if she's not home, you know? So her conversation with Steven went like this, Steven, you know what? She's probably just shacked up in a hotel around the corner with some guy, Alicia, Steven. She could, she could be in the slums of Detroit in serious trouble. She could be dead. And so from that conversation, Alicia remembered thinking like, holy shit, I can't trust this guy. Like she's getting weird vibes from Steven. And I think he probably picked up on that on the phone. So immediately once Alicia and Steven were done talking, she and her husband, Eric, and they they got the two kids, they jumped in the car in Ohio and they drove over to Michigan. Um, They essentially just papered the entire Detroit metro area with missing persons flyers. Uh, on the night of February 17th, Alicia and her husband made plans to pick up pizza and head to the Grant home. And when they got there, Stephen like initiated this like super like Ako taco hug, like <laughs> went in <laughs> like a forced hug, you know, and like then just started like sobbing on her shoulder and like wouldn't let her go. And it was kind of like at this point, Alicia and Eric are doing side eye. Like, the fuck is this guy doing? Like, dude, get off. Like, get off. It was weird. So for the first few days, Steven's like crying a lot, super sad to the media, pleading for Tara to come home and to like make contact in some fashion. Um, He made a statement that was something like, if you have to call anybody, just like, at least just call my in-laws. And I'm like, dude, they're not your in-laws. They're her parents. Yeah. So it was just weird ways that he's phrasing stuff. Um, after a few days, he starts to become angry with Tara in front of the media. And he actually like badmouths his wife in an interview with Detroit's NBC affiliate news network. He said, quote, a couple of years ago, Tara and I, Tara and I did have a problem in, in our marriage. I don't want to call it infidelity, but it was pretty close. Well, then it is. (laughs) Right. 
So I mean, there's, <laughs> listen, I would say, I think everybody has a right in their own relationship to determine what's cheating and what isn't, but there's no close to cheating or not close to cheating. Once you, once you've determined that, like there's not a gray there. emotional cheating is cheating to them. And there's not like close to it. It's it's, it is, or it isn't right. Right. So the interview is like, dude, like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, like, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, is it or wasn't it? So Stephen, he goes, quote, it was going there. And it's like, still not clear. Still not clear, Steve. So uh, he began describing Tara as a, quote, AWOL mother and, quote, caring about her frequent flyer miles more than her family. Blech. I'm going to throw up. So I basically then, have not, I basically have nothing. I, I know. That. Yeah, I know you have no words. Like, so oh, then, you, you didn't like that six figure salary. Okay. Sorry. Oh, it must've been really hard to do the laundry. Yeah. Must've been tough. So it was then that Alicia began standing up for Tara in interviews, which I'm like, you go girl. She starts countering Stephen, Stephen's comments. Um, and essentially just being like, that's not true. Like that's not her. Uh, so the small battle between like media comments between Alicia and Steven then caused the public to have split opinions about Steven. Whereas in the beginning, everyone was like, oh no, like, woe is he, you know, this poor like grieving husband is, can't find his wife. Like she just left him. And now they're like, oh shit. Like, cause like maybe that's not the case. So during this like public display, the au pair agency that placed Verena at the grant home then pulls her out of her contract and moves her back to Germany on February 21st, which like, I completely agree with. She doesn't need to be dealing that. But then I'm also in my head, I'm like, oh, those poor kids. Like, yeah, that was like their other person. So, but she wasn't involved in this in any way or? Not, I mean, we'll get there. She plays like a teeny, teeny, tiny part, but there's no maliciousness in her. Like she's just like- My mind immediately went to, it must've been the nanny. Oh, really? Like, my mind no. immediately went to, like, he was banging the nanny, so I was wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm just waiting for that one where, like, the mom's banging the nanny. Yeah, the manny. And, uh, the yeah. mom is banging the manny. Or the nanny. I don't or care. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, back at the sheriff's office, detectives had surveillance on Stephen Grant, the Grant home, his locations. They were following him. They were focusing on Steven's demeanor. They were watching him at like the mini mart every single day. He would go to this fucking mini mart and he would pick up the daily newspaper with like all the shifting headlines about the case. And they would watch like him like walk in, pick it up and like react to the front. Um, Detectives felt that there were a lot of holes in Steven's story, which like, yeah, Uh, mainly the fact that he kept mentioning this black sedan that he claimed that she like rode away in. Uh, there was no record of a car service coming to the Grant home, like ever. And essentially detectives had a gut feeling that something was off about anything that he was saying. So with no hard leads, very little evidence, the sheriff's office issued a search warrant of, uh, just the surrounding areas. So they were near what's called Stony Creek Metro Park. Uh, Sheriff Mark Hackle announced that they were going to be conducting a search of the park out by the Grant home over the weekend. Uh, Essentially, they picked this location because Stephen wouldn't stop mentioning it in his statements to the media. Like he, again, just singing like a canary, like 
just dropping Stony Park. It's like, dude, yeah, you're not really bearing the lead here. No. So, so uh, poor choice of words. I'm so sorry. So, um, <laughs> so on February 24th, uh, reserves and deputies from the sheriff's office swarmed Stony Park, uh, and they started looking for basically any signs of Tara Grant, any signs of like any maybe anybody maybe going on a walk and dropping a phone or essentially anything. So. They looked at a three-mile grid of the park. It took about six hours. There was more than 150 people searching along with sniffer dogs and a helicopter above. So the search unfortunately came up with nothing and the investigators encouraged the community to keep their eyes peeled, which like, again, doesn't really help them in their case. They just wasted man hours. They didn't yeah. really get anywhere. So four days after the search came up with nothing, Sheila Werner, who was a local dental hygienist, and she lives on the stretch of road that connects to Stony Creek Park. Uh, On February 28th, she decides to go on a walk on the trails, which I guess she did pretty often. Um, This entire park was 4,500 acres of preserve. I want to make that known because they did only search a three-mile grid of the park that was closest to the house. Mm, of course. So, right. So the, the entire park itself was about 4,500 acres. Um, on this walk, she's going through like trees and trails and she spots what she thought was just garbage or litter. And it was like tucked under a tree and it was a one gallon Ziploc baggie. She said it, quote, stuck out like a sore thumb because there was white snow against the red blood in the bag. So she said, I had a mitten on and I went over and I picked up the bag. I don't know why. I just feel like Sheila has a Southern accent. Uh, (laughs) Shayla. She heard about the missing woman on the evening news. So she brought the bag home. I'm going to stop here. Sheila. Sheila, why? pick up the phone honey it is 2007 bitch I know you have a Motorola you gotta call 911 I'm telling you I'm telling you the amount of times people don't call 911 when they should is astounding and maybe I'm not saying I'm not saying it's okay but in a city like Detroit maybe that played a part maybe in in a city like where we live and where you live we can call 911 because there are fireworks outside and they'll stay on the line with you until the insurance <laughs> fireworks and not gunshots. And in other cities where I've lived, if I called them for that, first of all, half the time in Atlanta, you call 911, the line's busy. Right. No problem. And then they would hang up on your ass. And they I know. They might find you. Honestly, I would not be surprised in Atlanta if you called 911 for something that was like, I'm scared because I think I hear gunshots. They might send you a fucking fine in the mail. So it just depends on, I think, where you live. So maybe, I'm not saying it's okay. You should always still call 911. But I wonder about that. Like, if maybe that's why. Because to me, I call 911. And when I say 911, the cops. The non-emergency number sometimes. But I will call them for anything. I don't know if I feel bad. Oh, I don't feel bad at all. Mm -mm. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Got you people on my street. I'm calling the non-emergency number. You called the non-emergency number about that one guy. I that's my favorite thing to do. His, Honestly, his pants were I, down. His pants were down. He deserved to have the non-emergency. He probably deserved to have the emergency police called on him. Probably. I my favorite pastime is 
being a passenger in a car and someone around me driving erratically and then I'm like I'm calling the I'm calling the cops Matt oh. speed up give me the, give me that license plate number it's the F the, is it not FWC that's not right uh uh F, FDLE Florida Department like there's some like star number number that you can call it's like star 542 or something yeah or something. I always have to google it I can't ever remember it but I, I should honestly graphics. save it in my contacts yeah I know point. I do it too I'm such a narc we're such narcs. We're such road narcs. But I do it too because it makes me so mad. You're gonna hurt somebody. Yeah, they're gonna kill somebody. Guys, anyway. do it. Do it. Report dangerous drivers. Moving on. Back to Sheila. Back so to she Sheila. brings this fucking bag home. She places it on top of her freezer in the garage, and then she calls the sheriff's office. So when the deputy arrives to Sheila's home, he determines that there were some gloves in the bag along with some metal shavings. Remember that Stephen works at a machine shop. Right. Yep. Uh, and then the red substance he was assuming at this point was human blood. So from these findings, they had everything they needed to get a search warrant for the Grant home, which I'm like, if it wasn't found on the Grant home, how were they? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is they get a warrant. That's where I'm at. Yeah. So at 5 p.m. on Friday, March 2nd, 2007, detectives and crime scene technicians arrived to the home of Stephen and Tara Grant. Police take Stephen Grant out of his vehicle. Like, I guess they pulled up right as Stephen had gotten home. And they, like, get him out of his car. They pat him down. Um, and they're like, okay, we're going to search your home. So they didn't have probable cause to arrest him at this point, obviously, because they don't have, like, any evidence other than the fact that Sheila just found this fucking Ziploc bag. So this is when Stephen calls Hank Winchester to come out to the house during this process. He was the reporter from Detroit's NBC affiliate station where he was talking shit. Oh, right. Hank's like, he wanted to interview me or he wanted me to interview him in the garage. And Hank's like, why in the garage? And Stephen's like, well, it'll give you a good look into what I saw the di- that day because I was looking out one of those windows when I saw Tara leave in the town car. Hair flip. Oh, okay. And yeah, so the interview never happened. <laughs> Hank's like, dude, I don't have time for this. So <laughs> as the team of detectives and technicians are like conducting the search of the premises, Stephen Grant just walks away. He just leaves. Oh, bye. Yep. Uh, 90 minutes into the search, Detective Kozlowski instructs his team. He had like five um, assistant detectives and police officers Uh, he instructs all of them to move their efforts into the garage so that the CSI team could get like a really clean sweep um, of the inside of the home first. So they didn't want to like be under their feet, but they wanted to use their time wisely. So they go to the garage and Kozlowski like is like, okay, nobody touched anything. We're going to start here. Turns the lights on and starts looking around and he's like, okay, I'm going to compare what I'm seeing now to what I saw on the 14th when I was here last for that first interview. I just want the people to know that I'm picturing Mark Wahlberg doing all of this. Hands on the hips. Yeah. He's probably tight, on a tight stool. Jeans. Yeah. Probably on a stool that, yeah. that you can't see from the camera because all of the extras are taller than him. Mark Wahlberg? Yeah. Short? I don't know. I'm Googling. <laughs> I just picked up my phone. Disney. We're about to find out. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Tom Cruise. <laughs> they're all the same mark they're not all scientologists though oh mark Wahlberg is only 5'8 shit see he's, he's eye level with me oh no 
How does that make you feel? I'm confused. <laughs> How tall is Michael B. Jordan? I'm about to break my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Hi, Michael. How, how, how tall are you? Uh, oh, thank God. He's six feet tall. All right. Oh, thank God. Uh, I needed to hear that. Okay. <laughs> I really needed that to replenish me. Okay. I feel so Mark that. Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg is in Steven's garage looking yeah. around. He's like, all right, is anything changed since I was here a couple weeks ago? Um, he says, quote, I saw a green container that, you know, I was pretty confident I had not been there on the 14th. It looked a little out of place to me and I immediately noticed it. He said there was a black and there was a black bag, a black garbage bag in it. And I opened up the bag and there was another bag inside that. So I went through each bag, ripping them apart with my hands, and I stuck my bare hand in there, and it was moist. No. And I saw that, that. and I saw what I thought was blood and plastic, and then I could see, you know, what was a bra. Wait, but like, why did he do that with his bare hand? I don't know. Isn't that Mark Wahlberg? Mark Wahlberg, get your shit together. (laughs) Get it together. Uh, he then said, quote, one of the evidence techs opened up the lid, cut the bag further and spread apart the bag. And there was a female human torso. I don't love that. So the second shock of the night, which isn't a shock to me, was when they realized that Stephen Grant actually wasn't there anymore. And he was officially on the run. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, this gives me some John Benet Ramsey vibes. Yeah, there's a lot of vibes coming into this case. Why was no one watching him? Why isn't, is that, he... isn't that also police 101? Yeah, I don't, I'm confused about these cops in Detroit. You had five guys with you. Sounds like only two of them were looking in shit in the garage. I just realized I'm reimagining this. Everybody <laughs> pause. All right. All right. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg isn't Brian. Was it Moskowitz? What's his name? Oh, fuck. Uh, cause. Kozlowitzki. That's That's not Mark Wahlberg. The story happens as it happened, but Mark Wahlberg's the rogue cop that comes in, (laughs) fucking busts the door down. He's like, not without a glove, motherfucker, before he reaches into the bag. And he's got with him Steven, who was trying to run away. The storyline is Mark Wahlberg saw saw (laughs) he was a rogue cop. End scene. He's a, he's a beat cop making his way up to the top. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, all right, Chief Wal- Kozlowski, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I'm from Boston. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Boston. I know what I'm doing. Is that a good Boston accent? Probably not. We'll call Ben Affleck later and find that out. That was like more of a Jersey. Well, Ben Affleck <laughs> is the chief police in this case. <laughs> Affleck is the one that doesn't, that sticks his hand in the bag without a fucking glove. That's Ben Affleck because Ben Affleck left Jennifer Garner. So he's an idiot who would stick oh, his hand in a bag. bag. Yeah, I've had enough of him. And, and dropping his freaking, I don't care that you yeah. dropped your Dunkin' Donuts. I've had enough of you. Honestly, he doesn't deserve our time. And no, scene. he doesn't. So we're on the hunt for Steven. So by the time the investigators found Tara's body, or part of it, Alicia and her family were already back in Ohio. So this part just, this breaks my heart. So she's, Alicia literally drives from Michigan back to Ohio on the day that they're doing the search. She gets back to Ohio and then 
Sheriff Hackle calls her. She answers and he says, all he says is, do you feel like Steve would ever hurt you? And she's like, what? And he's like, for your safety and your family's safety, I need you to get back in the car and drive back to Michigan. And she's like, the fuck? We just drove like 19 hours to get back here. So the thing that frustrates me about this is like, aren't there cops in Ohio that can at least just like watch their house for the night? Like, can't they just get... You would think. I don't really know how that works with like jurisdiction. I have no I don't either, but honestly, I just I was frustrated. I'm like, these poor this poor family, like they've just been through the ringer. Like that's so, enough for them. But the, he doesn't tell Alicia that they found her sister. He just tells her that he she needs to come back. Not that I so, agree, but I wonder if that's because he didn't want her to be like nervous and it's not okay though ever i think to like withhold that information yeah but like being like oh yeah we found her sister we found her body dismembered and now get back and drive in the car again like maybe he didn't want to do that i don't know i'm not excusing it they all they this seems like a real botched job on the part of poor alicia and her family get back in the car they drive back to michigan so the good news was that steven was continuing to use a cell phone because he's a dumbass uh towers are pinging with his location and he was heading north so they learned that he was in a yellow dodge dakota truck that he borrowed from an unsuspecting friend um if if someone out there has a yellow dodge dakota truck uh i'm i'm not going to apologize it i just why (laughs) um so it's like also not an inconspicuous color. Yeah, like like maybe look. Couldn't, couldn't have gone for a white Toyota Corolla, Steve. Come on. I mean, if you want to know how to get away with murder, call a like a twenty to thirty year old woman. Like we know all the <laughs> you, you take a you take a black Civic and you drive. Hey, Rhonda has some good parts. <laughs> I forgot you have a black Civic. <laughs> you drive a murder car. So do I. I drive a white totally. CRV. Those are so common. They're everywhere. Totally. We both have great cars for murdering our husbands. Call us if you need one. Yes. Anyway, so. <laughs> white car. Honey, he probably sucked. I'll give you my keys. So at this point, Ben Affleck, aka Kozlowski, his desk line starts ringing. Uh, it was an international number. And when he answered, it was Verena. Boom, boom, boom. Well, here she is from Germany. Hello. From Germany. Hello. She told Kozlowski that Grant had just called her, which for her was like in the middle of the night. And I'm like, that's rude. Yeah. Uh, he confessed to her for 30 minutes about what he had done to Tara. She said, he quote, no, she's sorry. She said, quote, he told me it was an accident. He said, she smacked me and she yelled at me and I pushed her back and she banged her head and then she was dead. No. No. Was it an accident when you dismembered her fucking body? Was that an accident? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oops. That wasn't funny. The Oops. react I got nervous. <laughs> Oops, I tripped and fell and I I grabbed a knife to steady myself and then I fell onto her body and dismembered it. She fell onto me really with the knife. Yeah. Yeah. So this was when Kozlowski then gently confronts Verena about rumors that he had heard from her American friend. That she and Steven had a relationship. Oh, see, that's where I thought this was going. They were banging. Yes. Were they? Yes. This is this is where we can cue the like, oh, 
Bachelor's Paradise. <laughs> Bachelor in Paradise. I was trying to think of another like scandalous song. Oh, my. But Chris Harrison's on my mind because he's a racist. So that's yeah. all that I could come up with. I just miss Paradise, but now I don't know. <laughs> so this is when he confronts her. It took a lot of coaxing on his part, to be completely honest. I read through the, the whatever it's called when it's a depiction of transcription the transcript yes uh and uh marina was like okay 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 we liked each other we liked each other a little more than we should have and it started about four weeks ago and that also not doesn't mean that she's bad or or you can you can have an affair with your au pair and not murder your wife those things don't always go together exactly she's 19 she's of consenting age you know it might not be ethical but it's not illegal so Kozlowski then asks her, well, how did it start? And Brina says, I don't know. It was just talking at first. I don't know. Maybe because Tara was always gone and then it was, it just happened, but it, it was never physical. Never. I, on that, I swear. And then she admitted to having oral sex with Stephen. Um. She says, but it was just one time. It was before that happened to Tara. It was before the February 9th. And Kozlowski says, okay, was it mutual oral sex or was it just him? And she says it was just him. So I don't really know what that means. I don't know if that means that it was like, if like, it, like the, the, word, the word mutual to me means you both wanted to do it. Hmm. Or does that mean like a 69 situation? I would take what... Hmm. That's interesting because I took it as did you both get some or did you only one of you? Oh. Or did you both or did only one of you get some and only one of you gave some? But my thing is, why is that relevant? Right. I don't know. So I think what you're saying would be more relevant. Like, like what did he pressure you? Was it right? Was it mutual? Like you both wanted it or did he pressure you into doing it or? Was it just him that wanted to and you felt uncomfortable? Yeah. And then I don't even know why that's relevant, really. Because then there could be a rape charge. Well, yeah, but that's a different, totally different case. What does that have to do with the murder to me? So he's just being nosy. He's just being, he just, he he wanted the, he's like, Marina, spill the tea, bitch. He's like, tea, honey. Let's tell me what went down. So Marina was able to confirm that his call that uh steven's call had come from a 989 area code which is super common for people in northern michigan she also mentioned that he sounded pretty suicidal so i'm kind of like i don't i don't i don't give a fuck yeah um another call that steven grant made during this time he called his sister who lives in detroit and i'm like where have you been uh he told her where he was staying which he was going to be in these remote cabins in northern Michigan and he also told her that he intended to kill himself there so Stephen's sister then like hangs up the phone gets a hold of Kozlowski and essentially just relays the information um this is where Ben Affleck's like I gave it a goog and uh turns out he was at the Wagashance State Cabins in Wilderness State Park in northern Michigan hmm. So police swarm the area and then they find the abandoned <clears throat> yellow truck <clears throat> and Stephen had like gotten out of the truck 
walked through like feet of snow. So there's just like these footprints leaving this yellow truck. Leads to a little area underneath a tree. And that's where Steven was laying. And he reports said that he was like suffering from hyperthermia, but like who gives a fuck? Uh, the Coast Guard was called in for a helicopter to deliver him to a nearby hospital where he continued to then speak to the media about himself. And it was just a lot of eye rolls happening. So, so search teams went back to Stony Creek park the day after Tara Grant's torso had been discovered in the bin in the family garage. I'm going to stop here. Why would you go back to Stony Creek park after the torsos found not after you found the Ziploc? Yeah, I don't know. Because he's an idiot. I just, I'm just pretty frustrated. So they went back and they basically just like put a circle around where the hiker had found the Ziploc bag. And then they just spread out from there. They began finding blood, hair, um, and then essentially just dismembered body parts that had been scattered. Stephen had cut his wife into 14 pieces. Police only found 11 of them. The other three were likely found by scavenger animals. Mm. Stephen Grant's original lawyer dropped him and made a formal statement that he would no longer be representing, quote, Mr. Mom. And after this, Stephen calls Kozlowski and asks him to come to the hospital where he is getting treated so that they can, quote, talk. So this is when Kozlowski's like, got in my I got in my my car and I just I, I hit every green light on the way there um so five hours later they're talking and they end up getting to the point where they're able to read him as Miranda writes so Stephen confesses Stephen told detectives that it started with a fight in the master bedroom on Friday February 9th Tara was saying that she was going back to Puerto Rico early so he's sticking with that um I don't know what's true or what's not Grant angrily then, or sorry, Stephen accuses her of not spending enough time at home. And then this is where we're going to get into some quotes that are, again, um, what was the word you used? Not dictations. Transcripts. Thank you. Of the confession recording. So Stephen, quote, she said, I got to do what I have to do in my job and that's none of your business. She started to turn around and I grabbed her wrist. Just stop. I said, you're not going anywhere. And I said, we're going to finish this conversation. And so she slapped me. And after that, I don't really remember what happened. She fell. I know that she banged the back of her head on the floor and that she said something like, that's it. I'm going to take the kids. You're going to be fucking homeless. You're a piece of shit. And I choked her. Kozlowski asked in the bathroom. Steven said, on the carpet she had started to get back up when i put when i put my hand on her neck i grabbed her neck and choked her and detective mclean asked were you looking at her face of course the 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 female just coming in with the emotional questions um and then steven says no i covered her face up and detective mclean asks what did you cover her face up with and steven says a gray shirt or maybe gray underwear and Kozlowski says, how did you know that she had died? And Stephen replies, when she stopped moving and I was worried. I was really worried. Who are you? 
I so just, the, I just, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> you had a lot of, a lot of opportunities to just stop what you were doing. The two children were what in their he, rooms. What was the outcome he was looking for? I don't know. You weren't worried about it before you started doing it. So I don't understand that. So this is when Stephen tells them that the kids were in their rooms down the hall uh, from the murdered from, from the murder. So the au pair was out of the house and authorities would later say that Stephen was text messaging her, quote, you owe me a kiss. And then he left a note for her on her pillow saying the same thing. Hmm. Uh, Stephen said that he returned to his wife's body, tied a belt around her neck, and dragged the corpse down the stairs and out to the garage. He was going to hide the body. Wait, 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 wait. wait. That is a very... Even it... Like, let's just pretend he was worried. Let's pretend he had remorse. Let's pretend. That is the most disrespectful, Mm -hmm. horrifying way to move the body yeah that in and of itself to me is proof that he didn't feel bad he didn't have remorse he didn't give a fuck and he also didn't care about his kids obviously his kids could have come out at any time well he's not bright okay (laughs) (laughs) commentary here on his iq i'm just commenting on like the emotional response to what he did because no that's a good point we've seen there have been cases where they get caught up in the moment and then there's like a rage killing and then it's like a, oh god what have i done and the bodies are treated very differently yeah so he drags her down the stairs out to the garage he said he was going to hide the body in the back of her car she had a, a zuzu trooper he said quote and i dropped her she was too hard to pick up and the belt the belt broke and she fell it was the most disgusting noise it just sounded like dropping a watermelon on the cement that's disgusting. So he went back upstairs and hears Verena get home. And then that was the first time that he stole the story, told the story of Tara leaving in the black sedan. Um, and he goes, I just kept thinking, we've got a body in the garage. What the hell do I do with the body? And thinking I killed my wife. I was just thinking that my life was over. So yeah, Tara's- I was just thinking my life was over. Forget about the life yeah. I just took. Just exactly. So Tara's body was on the Isuzu until Sunday. This happened Friday night. And he drove the SUV to his father's machine shop on Sunday morning, where he then learned by trial and error that a blade from a broken hacksaw works best. And he started with her hands. He said, at some point I threw up, I threw up again, and then I drank some more whiskey. And then I just told myself, look, if you don't do this, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. And I just kept cutting her up. He drove back to the house with the dismembered body in the car and joined He's, All Verena. he cares about is going to prison. I know. He drove back to the house with the dismembered body in the car. He joined Verena and the kids for the rest of the Sunday afternoon. And later that night, around 3 a.m. on Monday morning, he put Tara's body parts into his kids' red sled, put the sled in the car, and drove to Stony Creek Park. As he was like trying to dispose of the body, he like pulls the sled out of the car. He's on an incline in wherever he's at. And the sled like just 
slides down the hill without him. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh my God. Oops. Oops. So didn't go as he envisioned. Um, Tuesday, Tuesday at dusk, he returned to the park because essentially what happened was when the sled went down the hill, all of the body parts just kind of fell out and it was all just a mess. Um, he went back to the park at dusk, retrieved all the body parts, wrapped them in clear plastic bags, and then scattered the remains here and there under fallen trees. And that's obviously how Sheila found the Ziploc bag. So when the sheriffs announced that the search of Stony Creek Park was going to be taking place a week after he had reported her missing, he went back and retrieved the torso. For that, I don't know why. I mean, at this point, like, her hands are out there. She's obviously identifiable. Like, I don't know why he went back for that. Um, Stephen returned to the car with Tara's dismembered body, shoved it into plastic garbage bags, drove once more to his father's machine shop. He hid the torso behind boxes and, and left space beneath the ceiling. But he worried that the remains would then thaw because they were frozen because it was snowing and start to smell up the machine shop. So five days later, he went and retrieved the stashed torso, put it in a green plastic container and drove it back to the garage in his home and hoped for the best. I just don't understand. Doesn't this really make you want to eat dinner? Yeah. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> So Grant signed a written version of his confession, but the case wasn't over because Grant later then pleaded not guilty to the charge of first-degree murder. Uh, Ten months after his arrest, the trial began. The judge wouldn't permit cameras in the in the courtroom as the prosecute, sorry, as the prosecutor argued his case for premeditation, which was a requirement for Grant to be sent to prison without the possibility of parole. So he introduced his evidence where Grant's recent steamy emails to the old flame, uh, all but asking for a fresh hookup. He talked about him changing erotic targets from his former girlfriend to his children's au pair, Verena. Um, and they kept calling her like a German teen fresh out of high school. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. How old Stop like. Stop 19, but I don't care. Stop like romanticizing her. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Her yeah. fault. No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just... So, uh, Verena was actually then called to the stand as a witness and she got to show off her new hairdo because girl was then a brunette. Mm -hmm. um, a defense probably, witness. She argued, probably dyed her hair because she had to. Probably. I know. A defense witness argued the case was really about a man snapping during a physical confrontation and therefore he should be found guilty of no more than second degree murder. In his closing argument, the prosecutor brought the jury back into the bedroom, like not physically, but like as an example, um, metaphorically, as the murder occurred. The medical examiner had testified that Tara likely went unconscious after 15 seconds of strangulation but then it probably took another three minutes and 45 seconds of Grant ch actually choking before she died, which is just like horrific. Mm. Uh, Prosecutor Smith took out a stopwatch, which I 
hate that this had to happen, but I love this tactic. Took out a stopwatch and set it ticking for four minutes. It made everybody sit there. Yeah. 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 It's effective. It, it really is. He goes, he was like plenty of time, right? Plenty of time. Yeah. Um, so essentially he was just stating that he had a lot of time to consciously choose to stop. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, so this constituted premeditation in his, in his, his prosecution. So after three days of deliberations, the jury came back with a verdict guilty of murder in the second degree. Two months later on February 21st, 2008, the judge sentenced Stephen Grant to prison for the next 50 to 80 years. His first opportunity for parole hearing won't be until his, he is 87 years old. So I have a question. Yep. Second degree murder versus first degree murder. Why would this not have been first degree? Maybe because it was not, once again, that it makes it okay, but do you think it's because it was not like, um, like they were in an altercation already? And so it's considered probably, I mean, I think, I think it just depends on what the juries like during the deliberation, what the opinions are, because they have the right to, to choose. Yeah where it lies and if there's any 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 type of like reasonable doubt then they have to not you know I think it's probably something like that and I did read that there was a lot of like arguments and struggling between sides like they were pretty much a split jury right it took a really long time like three days I mean I don't know that's that's a lot of that that does seem like a lot of well I think that's more than most I would, I mean, we've, there have been longer for sure, right. but I think three days is, is definitely more than most. So um, just a couple of facts about afterwards. So Alicia and her husband, Eric adopted the two children, Lindsay and Ian, and they blended their families into one and they now call their aunt and uncle mom and dad. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So super, super sad, tragic story. Valentine's day special to get you in the mood. So he's rotting in prison though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, good. Oh, well. That get you in the mood? I can't wait to see Ben Affleck and Mark Wahlberg in this film. I can't wait to see it happen. I I mean, it's it's gonna be great when it comes out. I'm just waiting for Les I'm just waiting for Leslie Mann to show up and be Alicia. Yeah. We've casted the entire thing. All they have to do is sign off. It's fine. Oh my goodness. We did most of the work. Yeah. Well, follow us on Instagram at Spaghetti Heads Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Spaghetti underscore Heads. Email us your embarrassing stories at Spaghetti Heads Podcast at Outlook.com. And cheers. Cheers. Cheers.